This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Stay standing as Miss Jody comes to read from the Word of God. Reading from 1 Kings 18, 16 through 39. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and all the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal will choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. So they danced and hobbled around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and followed their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. 
he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. He then dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water, and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, Now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove yourself today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this as your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the God of Lord is God. Man, I love that story. I love stories in the Bible where it looks like it's over. Yeah, you can have your seat. Looks like it's over. It looks like it's absolutely impossible. It looks like it's never going to happen. And then God picks just this highly unlikely person and puts him in this highly unlikely situation and then causes the most unlikely thing to happen. I love it. So, and you know, when I think about mothers... um, I think about the things in our life that sometimes we think um, are impossible because of our mess-ups, because of our missteps, because of us misplacing ourselves. And this is really where Israel was at this moment. And it doesn't just happen to mothers. Mothers are not the only ones with regrets. We're not the only ones finding ourselves in a situation that we need God to come through and do some impossible things for us because of some of our missteps. We all do that in life. We all misplace things. We all end up making mistakes. We all can look back and think, gosh, I wish that I sure could have done that a little bit better. So, and mistakes happen all of the time. Just this week, um, Johnny Love had a bit of a temperature. She's cutting teeth, so she's been having fever just on and off, um, low-grade cutting teeth. I know pediatricians say that doesn't happen, but if you're a mom, we know it happens, right? I mean, like everyone. So anyway, um, she's been to the doctor. Everything is good and checked out, but in the process of her having a fever, um, Olivia needed a thermometer, and because I had just finished chemo not too long ago, although I do have a little bit of locks this time around, so... Yep. Um, 
I have the best thermometer in the house. I mean, it is the thermometer that the doctor said, like, you have to take your temperature every day while you're in chemo. Like, and it has to be a really great thermometer. So it's not, you know, the little flimsy kind that you get that, like, Ben, it's not one of those. It's like high-tech, like $150 thermometer, electronic scanner, whole thing. So Olivia's like, where's your thermometer? And I'm like, well, I know exactly what it is because I am a woman of order. I'm a woman of order and purpose, and everything in my house has a spot and a place just like I've taught you all to do, um, and just like I've drugged your father through life trying to get him to do as well. Um, and so I went straight to where I knew my thermometer would be, which would be in the medication bin that I have all the medication from chemo in. Why I'm keeping that medication, I don't know, but it's stored up away, and I thought that's where my thermometer is. But it wasn't there, so I went to the only other place that the thermometer could be, which was in the laundry room above the washing machine and dryer is a cabinet that has medication in it, like regular medication, not, not the high-powered drugs that are in my closet. So just the regular things. Um, so Tylenol, Advil, Band-Aids, um, and there's no thermometer there. I'm like, that's so odd. Where is my thermometer? Search the whole house, the whole thing for it. So I'm like, Livia, I'm sorry. I, I just don't know where my thermometer is. So um, anyway, five days later... Victoria Kate calls me, and she's like, guess what I found? It's like, what did you find? We all know she found the thermometer. Guess where the thermometer was? Like, I said, where's the thermometer? She said, it's in the bucket with the nail polish and the nail polish remover and the cotton balls and the fingernail files. And I'm like, why is my thermometer, my $150 thermometer doing, why is it sitting in a bucket with fingernail polish and, and, and polish remover? And I was so frustrated with myself, just mildly, though, because it's a thermometer, right? I mean, we've, we've not lost too much here. It's a thermometer. It's in the wrong place. Um, so I simply went and put it back. How many of you know sometimes the mistakes and the missteps in life the things that we don't do so well, don't do what we're supposed to do, it's a little weightier. A little weightier than just the thermometer being um, put somewhere where it shouldn't be. Victoria Kate was in middle school, and the love of her life came to our home to swim in middle school. She had been in love with John since first grade. So first grade, second grade love. They were in church together, nursery school together, school together, and were neighbors. So he gets to come over every summer and just swim with us for weeks on end. So she's in hog heaven because John is over and it's a birthday weekend. So I had cake in the house. And I said, out the window, I said, hey, who all wants some um, cake and some lemonade, you know, kind of thing. And so John raised his hand, and Victoria Kate's little eyelashes fluttered, and she looked at him, and she said, I'll go get your cake for you. And so she came in the house, and she was so excited. She's like, let me serve him. Let me serve him. I want to give him the cake and the lemonade. And so I prepared it for her and got it all on a plate. So she had a plate in this hand and a glass of lemonade in this hand, and Everybody else is outside in the pool. So Victoria Kate exits her little middle school self, and let's pretend the rug is the pool. Um, Y'all probably know where I'm going with this. So she's got the cake, she's got the lemonade, and she's walking, looking at John, I'm sure, very lovingly, maybe blinking, and her eyes on John, boom, just right 
off the sidewalk into the pool. Cake goes everywhere, lemonade goes everywhere. And have you ever seen or heard of John anymore? Nope, he's gone. Like out of the picture, John is no more. So it was over, like it ended. Way more weighty than a thermometer for Victoria Kate. One of her biggest regrets, I'm sure. She looks back on that day and thinks, I can't believe that. She was mortified at the misstep. Mortified at the cake floating in the pool. The lemonade, everything else. But life gets heavier than that. When, when I think about Mark and I, and I think about our marriage crashing in 2010, how many of you know hindsight is always 2020? And you look back and you think, gosh, why is that a part of my testimony? Why did we have to endure that? The humiliation, the embarrassment, the hurt, the regret the things that we can't go back and fix. And how many of you know that there are little missteps all along the way that we look back and think, gosh, I can't believe we didn't catch that for two years we were like ships passing in the middle of the night. Like you were preaching at one church. I was preaching at another church. You were at work all day. I was not at work all day. I was at home all day away from you. I was raising babies. You were riding motorcycles. I mean, just on and on, just the list of stuff that just goes on and on and on. We never dealt with any issues, didn't deal with our finances, didn't deal with our sex life, didn't deal with communication, had too many irons in the fire. And you, and you, you think, God, you know, it, it, it took a miracle, right? It took a miracle to fix that situation. It doesn't take a miracle to fix the thermometer, but it took a miracle in that moment. That's why I love this story, because the truth of the matter is, there are those of you who are sitting in this room today who have made some pretty big missteps. You've got some stuff in your life that you think it's it's only going to be God who's going to be able to fix. And he is just that good of a God that there is not one of us in here who does it all perfectly. It's one of the lessons that I'm trying to impart to Olivia right now as a first-time mom. She's like, Mom, but what if I miss A, B, C, or D? And I'm like, you are going to miss A, B, C, or D. There will come a moment when you will miss it. There will come a moment that that the humanness of our humanity just kind of comes through. And God knew that about us. He knew it about us. That's why he calls us to himself to to consecrate ourselves to him, to serve him, so that he can be a God who impacts the planet and our lives in just this kind of way. Israel had misstepped. They were away from God. They had had king after king after king who did not serve God. They are the people of God, and they are having leadership. They are having worship. They are extending idols. They are having temples um, built to the, the God of Baal, and they were, they were in a place that, that they, their eyes were totally off the Lord. The Bible even said, um, as we read just a minute ago, that they were faltering between two opinions. This God who had delivered them so many years ago, and then this God that they were um, just engulfed in with their culture, their everyday life, their livelihood, the things that they did. And, and this is where they find themselves. And not only did God show up for a nation that had found themselves in that situation due to missteps, but he even took it a little bit further and he said, let's make it a little more impossible and let's take this altar that this prophet is going to build and let's just douse it in water. 
over and over and over again. So let's take something that's already broken and let's break it just a little bit more. Because that's the kind of God I am. I want to come for the broken moments, the broken places, the thing that without me, there would be absolutely no way for it to happen. And when I read this story, I don't just think about the things in my life, which have been pretty much the forefront of my brain this year, have been things in my life that I have misstepped or misplaced. Because when you're faced with mortality, you look at life a little bit differently. And I think, God, I don't want to miss it with my kids. What have I not done well? What have I not taught them yet? Because I don't really know what tomorrow holds. Some of us know that, but we've not quite had to look in the mirror and look at ourselves in the face and, and really know it and think, I really don't know what tomorrow brings. So I love this. I love that I'm at a place in my life where just reading it here is not enough for me. I want to know it to the place that I, that I can stand before God and I can say, fire come down on something that's broken, something that's no more, something that there is no, no possibility for me to fix. And God wants to say to some of you today, in your life, there are things that you cannot fix, things that are totally out of your control, totally out of your hand. You cannot go back to yesterday. You cannot go back to last month. You can't go back to 10 years. And he is saying to you today, if you will lean into me enough, if you will lend your ear to me, if you will lend your hands to me, if you will lend your life to me, I am the God of fire and I can call it down and I can burn it up and I can set it all in the right places. So that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we get there because sometimes I have not felt like I've been there. Right? Sometimes I've looked at the impossible and I've, I've leaned into more of the impossibility than I have to the God of all possibilities. And, and I don't like that. I want, to be, I want to be steadfast. I want my feet planted. I want my faith set like stone on the God who can deliver us. And so I want us to go back a chapter. We're going to look at the life of Elijah just a little bit in, in chapter 17. I'm definitely going to ask them to put this on the screen because I told the first service today, I carried this, I think, in front of you all. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think why every time I speak, I even bring this up here. And the only thing that I can think is because of religion. So Because I can't see it at all. And I say that every time I'm up here. Like, I literally cannot see it. So thank, thank God for an aging and healed body. So I can see this and I can see that. So let's make sure that it's up there. Um, and we're going to start in verse 17, um, looking at the, the life of Elijah. And, but before I start reading this, as we, as we get into this and we start looking at Elijah and these things, I want you all to look. Have you all ever admired something from afar and thought, I want that? You know, I mean, like, I want that. I want to do that. That's, that's how I feel about Lizzie Garvey. Like, I watch her work out. I watch her videos. I worked out one time with Lizzie Garvey. Never again will I work out with Lizzie Garvey. Never. Like, I called her. I was like, hey, you going to be at the gym? She's like, yeah, I'm going to be at the gym. You want to come? I'm like, yeah, I want to go. I mean, she almost killed me. I mean, it was like death. I was at death's door before I left Gold's Gym. Never will I call her again. Scuba diving was like that for me. 
So I don't know why. I think, you know, just I was younger, definitely, much younger, much more fit. And I thought, well, that's cute. Just a cute little wetsuit, some little flippers. And, you know, you just go underwater and you get to swim with the fish. You get to do all the things. And so I had my husband go buy some scuba equipment before we ever took lessons because you have to look the part when you're going in. So I, I looked the part. I had the stuff. Mark spent the money. We both took lessons. Lesson one went great. I loved scuba diving day one I jumped into the pool it was great I got to float around just little flippers and fins and look cute in the water yada yada lesson two the next week last time I ever went never went back sold all the stuff wasted the money um, because here's what they do in lesson two there's there's a thing called a mask scuba mask that you wear when you go scuba diving there's a little bit of air that I just felt very normalized in that was sitting on my face between my nose and my mouth and on me it was right there I loved it it was so comfortable having that there well they told me to dive in go 30 feet under release the air from that mask, and then put the mask back on with water on my face, on my nose, and then I'm supposed to blow the water out of the mask somehow underneath 30 feet of, of water. I'm like, no, you cannot have this space. This space belongs to me. It's mine. And they're like, well, that's as far as you're going to get then because every scuba diver has to be able to do that. They have to be able to clear their mask. Um, way too uncomfortable for me. Like, no. I'm good. So when we look at Elijah, there may be some things that the Lord requires of us to have the kind of faith that Elijah had that make us pretty uncomfortable. But we have to be willing to say, you know what? The produce that I've gotten in my life as I'm feasting off of my mistakes is, is worth a moment of my being uncomfortable. It's worth it if I want to be like Elijah. It's worth it if I want to take these areas in my life that are dead and broken and underwater and I really expect and want the fire of God to manifest so much upon them that the nation around me would look and want to glorify God, then I need to be willing to say, yeah, I'm going to do it because sitting in death is, is not fun. And some of us are in broken, dead things because we've tolerated them, we've buddied our life up with them, we've just incorporated them into a part of who we are and God is calling us today to be different, not for the sake of our own testimony, but for his glory, for, for the things, you know, we have no idea what he's called us to do tomorrow. We have no idea what he's got us on this corner for. I'll tell you this as a church, he does not have us on this corner just so we can have a 45-minute session together of Mark or I or whoever we put on this platform speaking to you and a three-set song list. That is not why we're here on this corner. There is something way more weighty going on on the corner of Pope and Bomar. And my belief is there is something way more weighty going on in your life that, that you would need to have the faith not just to believe that he can fix those impossible broken things in your life, but to believe that he can call you to the impossible, whatever that might look like tomorrow, whatever it might look like on your job, whatever it might look like in your relationships, whatever it may look like in the places that you go. So let's believe together. Let, let's pull ourselves together and let's decree that we are going to be the men and women of God on this corner who are fire-believing men and women of God, who believe that God can come down and do miracles among us, that when Sam gets up here and says, hey, I need you all to pray for a friend of mine who, who has cancer, 
many of us would raise our hands and we would say, I've never seen a miracle. Many of us lay our heads on our pillows at night and have that conversation with God. We have the conversation that, that God, you know, Mark and Robin say, or Pastor Jean and June say, or Michael said, or this song said, or somebody said, or I read in your word that you will, but I've not seen it. I want our testimonies to be that we are people who continually experience the fire of God coming down in our life, just like I can look back at my marriage where I misstepped and Mark misstepped and we mishandled and we did things that were stupid and foolish and we created chaos in our life. Some of you have created chaos in, our, in, in, in your life. And if you will but let God, I'm telling you what he can do. It was, it's highly unlikely I am the daughter of a single mom who ended up marrying a guy while he was in prison. She was raped as a kid. She was molested. She moved. She got pregnant by a man that she met in a bar who didn't want me, who um, she then decided to run after Jesus and met a guy who was in prison and married him. Does that sound like a very likely story for me to even be halfway sane? I have, I have had... I have had three men that I've called daddy. One of my dads committed suicide while my mom was talking to him on the phone. Highly unlikely that I would even have half a brain at all when it comes to men. But God, that's right. But God, that he would show up. And the thing that he has done for me is the exact same thing that he wants to do for you in the areas of your life that you look at that are broken, that are beyond repair, that you don't see any way, any way out. So let's look at Elijah 17, chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So he's gone to King Ahab at the Lord's decree, and he's declared a drought. So all of Israel, God's people, are about to be without. They're about to be without sustenance. They're about to be without finances. They're about to be without work. They're about to be without livelihood. They're about to be without food. They're about to be without supply. So think about COVID times, you know, I don't know, maybe 100 so we, we've been in for a year. Some of our jobs have been affected, but I've eaten every day. Amen. Yeah? Okay. So these people are in drought. Nothing. Dry, desolate, broken, nothing. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Do you know that God wants to speak to you? He wants to speak to you. Like he wants to speak to you. He wants a very intimate connection with you. He wants to have the kind of relationship that if I were to come by with a microphone right now and say, what did God tell you this morning? That you would be able to tell me what God told me this morning. All of the stories in the Bible, all of the biggies that we think, yeah, I want to do that. They all started with God speaking. They all started that way. Moses had a bush where God showed up and God spoke. Do you expect God to show up and God to speak? Mary had an angel visit her 
where God showed up and God spoke. Joseph had a dream where God showed up and God spoke. God is a speaking kind of God. He is, he is the only one. He's not deaf. He's not mute. He's not a statue that sits on a mantle somewhere. He is not a statue that hangs on a cross on a picture frame that sits in our home. He is not a cross around our neck. He's not a slogan on a t-shirt. He is a very live, a real, um, active, living, breathing kind of God who wants to speak to you, which means you have to lend your ear to him, which is what Elijah did. He spoke to him, and Elijah heard what he said. Mark and I love praying with you. We love doing life with you. That's what being in community is all about. It's about being able to do that. But let me tell you something. If you are not at a place in your life where you lay your head on the pillow at night and you say, God, I need a word from you, or you put yourself in a closet during the day and you say, God, I'm not leaving this closet until you speak to me. If you don't have that kind of intimate relationship with God where you can hear him calling you in the morning and calling you in the evening, telling you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, then you're not going to be the kind of man who can stand before wood that's buried three feet underwater and say, Fire, come burn. So you're not going to be able to do that. You've got to be able to hear him for your life, which is the kind of man that Elijah was. God wants to speak to you. Do you hear him? Do you hear him speak to you? Or is it just something you you long for? Do you put yourself in a situation where he can speak? Do you want to hear him or do you just want your wife to hear him for you? Do you want to hear him or do you just want your husband to hear him for you? Do you just want Mark and I to hear him for you? Your favorite speaker to hear him for you? Or do you want to hear him where you hear and sense his voice? Go to verse 3. The Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. Not only did God want to speak to Elijah, but he wanted to separate Elijah. And here's where it gets a little tricky. So... Hearing him is really the easy part because the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. The voice of a stranger, they don't follow. The Bible says, ask of me and you will find me. The Bible says, seek me, you'll find me. The Bible says, knock and I'll open up the doors of heaven to you. God is not playing games. So when you cry out to him and you say, I want to hear your voice, believe me, he's there to speak to you. He is there to speak. And then there comes this part where God begins to speak and tell you. And he said, separate yourself. Leave from here. In other words, leave your people. These were his people. He was their prophet. These were people he had done life with. And God is separating him from them. During a time when they are going to be in extreme need, and Elijah knew that. That's why 18, when he met Ahab, Ahab said, you troublemaker for Israel? Like, are you the one who, who did all this? They had been in trouble. And God, had, God was calling Elijah out. Calling him out, calling him out, calling him out. He had to separate himself and go where God told him to go. He had to separate himself and go. And it, I, I, it was not an easy thing to ask of him. 
I know when Mark and I found ourselves in extreme drought and need, when our marriage crashed, um, we were pretty needy. Like, we had no insurance. We had no cars. We had no vehicles. We had no friends um, except just a a few handful. Um, And you can bet, how many of you can imagine how much I wanted that handful of friends that I had? I was just a few of them, and I'm like, yeah, I want them. God said to me one day, I had, Mark and I were, were um, working on rebuilding, and po- the possibility of restoration was somewhere in our brain, but I had not landed on it fully. And so he was not in the house, and I heard God say, I want you to go stay at a farmhouse for a few days. A farmhouse that's like seven miles from where I lived. And it made zero sense to me. Zero, none. Like I can hear, I can hear you in my house. Like I'm good right here in my house with me and my babies and my little friends who stop by, who feed me, take care of me, drive me where I need to be. And you want me to go sit in a farmhouse by myself without anybody? Like it made zero sense. God was separating me to Himself. Those, that little handful of friends were not my sustenance. That little handful of friends were not my burning bush who were going to speak to me. God wanted me to himself, consecrated to him to hear his voice, which is exactly what I did. I had my kids take care of themselves, the one who could drive. I took my others with me, took them to school, and went back to the farmhouse. I stayed in the farmhouse for seven days until I got a plan from God, until I heard him download to me what to do to save my marriage, to bring the fire of God back into my life, back into my home, so that my kids could have a testimony, so that we could have a testimony, so that Mark and I could see the hand of God move in our life. I don't know that it would have happened outside of me stopping myself to get out of my brain, out of my emotions, out of my habits, out of my hurts, out of my bitterness, out of my confusion, out of my disdain, and go to a spot where I actually heard the voice of God give me a plan of what to do and then do it. We have to be that kind of people who do that. If we want the fire of God to show up on these things in our life that we cannot go back and fix these things in our life that are, that are without us. And let me tell you something. The hardest things that I've had to separate myself from have not been people. For some of you, maybe it's people. Maybe you connected with Joe Blow about three months ago somewhere in a bar somewhere maybe. I don't know. And, like, it's going nowhere. Like, the relationship is going nowhere. And God is clearly saying to you, please get out of this while you can. Maybe for some of you it's been more than three months. It's been four or five years you're in a relationship or you're surrounded with people that he's asking you to separate yourself from. He's asking you to consecrate yourself to him. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's some of those those things that I think, you know, some of these things I think are easier than some of the deeper emotional things that we have buddied up with in our lives. One of the things that I buddied up with in my life for a long time was control. Perfectionism and control. Perfectionism and control. And I was very good at it. I liked perfectionism. I liked checking my boxes off for being good. Yep. Good grade. Yep. Good girl. Yep. Good house. Yep. Fold the towels just right. Yep. Three, not two. Right? Trifold. Trifold, not a, not a double. Have the streamers 
wound the same amount of time everywhere they go. Yep. Picture's just right. I think that's one of the reasons why I was so comfortable. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, why didn't you wear your wig very much? I'm like, do you know how much work that is? Like to know, just, whoo, it was just so freeing. When God delivers you from perfectionism and control and having to be perfect and all these things, you just, it is just the most freeing. Migraines went away. Um, anxiety went away. Depression went away. When I decided to let go of control and stop buddying up with it, Stop carrying it around in my hip pocket everywhere I went. Some of you have buddied up with some things that you think are sustaining you and they're really killing you. If we're honest, 50% or more of you, male and female, which is the highest, the new highest ranking number statistically, are addicted to porn in this room. Right now, 50% of you. You think it's sustaining you. Taking the edge off. Causing... Less conflict in marriage. Just go handle myself. It's killing you and it's destroying you. These little things that we just partner up with. Mark says it sometimes that he's surprised that y'all even follow us. Sometimes I think that too. Um, and when I tell you this story, you'll think, gosh, you that immature. So I don't know if I'm this immature or... Um, or if it's chemo residuals, or if it's, I'm on a medication that I have to take for um, about a year. I also have been pushed into menopause suddenly. I was not in menopause, and chemo pushes uh, a woman's system into menopause. So, hormones everywhere. Um, for, and guys, if you don't understand hormones, one day you're going to have a wife, and you will, and you'll know exactly what I'm saying. So hormones just floating everywhere. Like when I look at my laundry on the table, I don't just think, why haven't the kids picked the laundry up off the table? Like that's a, that would be a normal thought. I think, like I am going to get in the car, and I'm going to drive to California, and I'm going to never come home. No one will ever see me again if these kids cannot get the freaking laundry off the table. So that's how I feel like inside. So, but I can't, I can't do that. I just have to. And if you're a woman, you know, you've been doing this a long time, right, with hormones. We've just been putting it down, putting it down, putting it down. So, well, it's back in my face again, just this hormone adjustment that my body's having to do. My kids are like, Dad, what's wrong with Mom? What's happening? And they're scared to death. He's like, girl, she's going to be fine, I promise. Just give her a minute. She'll work through it. But two weeks ago, I'm on the front row, and embarrassingly enough, I got my feelings hurt in church, which I think is just a silly thing. So I think hurt feelings are silly sometimes anyway. I try to be real empathetic when people talk to me about feelings getting hurt um, because I know some people are more sensitive than others, but I don't like being that person. I do not like being the person who is just rolling over her head, just, oh my gosh, this person said blah, 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 blah. Hurt my feelings so badly that I'm crying on the front row. You all probably think, look, the Lord's just touching her and blessing her. (laughs) Yet again, he's just blessing her. I mean, she's just so thankful to be alive and just, oh, Holy Spirit, just keep on. No, inside, I'm screaming inside. And I'm thinking, I'm about to get in my car, and I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to ponder what I'm going to say. I'm going to ponder how I'm going to say it. I'm going to ponder how I'm going to let them know who I am and what they did and da 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 I mean, I had it all going on. I mean, I grabbed my purse, and I was headed out that door, and I heard the Holy Spirit 
as clearly as I'm talking to you today. Say, why would you want to buddy up with that? Do you really want to partner with being overly sensitive? Like, are you going to partner your life with offense? Are you going to partner your life with bitterness? And I sat there a minute, and I thought, well, maybe. I don't know. Like, (laughs) let me think about this. And I had to make a decision that moment. I don't want my life partnered up with stuff that is not what God has joined me to at all. And some of us have been partnered up to the wrong stuff for a long time. We carry it around in our hip pocket and we pull it out on rainy days and we think it brings us hope. We think it gives us peace. We think it's bringing us sustenance. And at the end of the day, it's crushing us and it's killing us. God had a plan for how he was going to feed him, for where his sustenance was going to come. It was going to come from the brook and the raven. He was going to get bread in the morning, meat in the evening, and water by the brook. Bread in the morning, meat in the evening, and water by the brook. He was going to get sustenance and refreshing day after day after day after day if he would just lean in and listen instead of trying to do it himself. The third thing that the Bible says Um, If you'll put verse 3 back up there. Verse 4. Verse 5. There we go. Okay. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped. He camped beside the Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. He didn't just pass by. He didn't just get the outfit to look cute, to look like the camper. Y'all know Meredith on the parent trap? I mean, that's the kind of camper that I am. Yeah, she gets a cute little outfit, a little tank top, a little visor. She's got a new little water bottle. But she sure doesn't want to see a bug, touch a bug, go fishing, cook her food by the fire have to sleep with bears outside the tent. This dude camped out. He stayed where God told him to stay. Some of us have been passing by God weekly for a really long time, and that's as far as we've gotten with him. We just pass by a little bit of window shopping. That's what I do when I go to Lenox, just window shopping. Just looking. He's camping out. He's camping out here. He had made it his home. He decided this is where I'm going to stay. And I'm going to weather the storms. I'm going to weather when it's uncomfortable, when it doesn't feel good. And that's how he made it to the place that he could be a man that said, you know what, there are, there are things that are broken here. The altar of the Lord is broken. These people are broken. They're not where they're supposed to be. Now, God, I need you to come and show up, and I need you to do what you say you're going to do. And it happened. There are those of you in here today who you couldn't fix the things that are broken in your life if we gave you a million dollars. The best counseling isn't going to fix it. The best sermon isn't going to fix it. There are things in your life that only God can show up for and do. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back or whoever's coming back to do music. I want us to be the kind of people who believe 
for the highly unlikely things that we need to happen to happen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.